The point is, is that like, I know that one day my kids are gonna be grown and they're gonna have to go out and be responsible for themselves. And as an adult who's had to go through all that and fail and start my own business and it's been really hard and times when you don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, life is hard. And if we are just like coddling our kids and, and then throwing them out there, that is not serving them, you know? So it's much better that they grow that muscle of like having to take responsibility for themselves now, because it's actually, it's the most loving thing that you can do for your child. That's Shannon. She's co-founder and executive director of Acton Academy in Montessori in El Salvador. Shannon is a speaker, facilitator, and coach, and is the host of the New Schools podcast, which helps families at an inflection point in schooling to explore and choose the best option for their children's learning journey. She's a freedom lover, explorer, and anthropologist at heart, and has lived, worked, and studied all over the world. She lives in El Salvador with her husband, David, creator of Cadejo Brewing Company, an Aspen Global Leadership Network fellow, and their two children who are both their inspiration. So grab a seat by the fire as we travel to El Salvador to speak with her about opportunities that exist in alternative education. So Shannon, welcome. You are from New Schools and you are in El Salvador, right? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. Can you give us a little introduction about yourself and what it is that you do? Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I'm a mom um, and, my, you know, my husband and I have two children who are 10 and 12 and um, they have been such an inspiration on our journey about schooling. Um, I originally was a constructivist science teacher and I taught in New York City public schools and I loved teaching, but I didn't love the way that teaching was done. Um, I felt like it was, wow, just overwhelming, really focused on a lot on, on control and on like just delivering content. But I was, I really hadn't like ever had my mind opened that there was really other possibilities, uh, even though I had gone to Montessori as a child. And then one day when I was actually working in a different job, I came across John Holt and I kind of read his philosophy and he explained about the industrial era and how conventional schools were kind of built to feed that industrial system. And it just like blew my mind. Right. But I didn't have kids at that time. So I was like, it just like changed my mind. But then it wasn't until years later that I had my own children and you know how kids are. They're so just excited to learn and curious. And, you know, my son is the older one. So he just loved to build things and make things and make marble runs and build cars. And like, he just was so on fire with learning for life. But then, you know, the only school choices where we are, and I think where most people are in the world was like a very conventional system. And right away in first grade, he just started to feel really constrained and he had to sit in a desk and listen to a teacher talk for six hours and have homework. And he was like six years old. And I just said like, no, I can't do it. Like, I just can't. And I don't want him to hate learning. I don't want him to feel like he's wasting his time. And so my husband and I made the decision to take him out of school. My husband supported me. He thought I was crazy. And uh, he's like, okay, babe. You know, <laughs> so I did it and I homeschooled for a very brief time, but that also wasn't really, um, that wasn't great. I, I wanted more, you know, 
friends and more people around and everything. I felt kind of lonely and isolated. And then I found Acton Academy. And when I heard about it in a conversation, like within 20 minutes, I was just like that, that that's exactly what I want. Um, and so we founded our own Acton Academy in El Salvador in 2016. And uh, we haven't looked back ever since. And now we're about to celebrate five years of having our school. We've had ups and downs. Pandemic was really hard, but we really have never looked back. And we, we just absolutely love it. Wow. That's so great. What a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm curious, that position, what was it with this as a science teacher? Oh, just constructivist. So the way that I learned how to be a science teacher was through you know, is like engaging students in experiments and exploring and then going, you know, going into like discovery and then like, what are these concepts instead of like memorized definitions yeah. and take a test, you know? So unfortunately it was hard to be a constructivist teacher in a conventional system. Really, it's just like the 45 minute period, you just don't have time, you know? And, yeah. and it's just like, run, it's like, 45 minutes and then two minute break. And then another group of 32 students comes in. It's like, ah, you know, it just was like way too fast paced and short term, short times with them. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard to, to do that. I found. Yeah. It wasn't my thing. So was it then the founding of the Acton Academy in El Salvador that brought you there? Or was it something else that brought you to El Salvador? I'd like to start uh, no. there. Yeah, sure. So my husband and I met in New York City in 2005, and he's originally from El Salvador, but he had gone to university in the States and had founded a business there and had been there for 17 years. And then he was like, we're like, okay, we're going to get married and have kids. Like, we didn't really want to stay in New York City. We just felt like that was like going to be too hard to have a family there. And so and I was like, should we go back to St. Louis, which is my hometown, or should we go to El Salvador? And I'm just kind of a free spirit traveler. I love to learn languages and stuff. And I was like, let's try El Salvador. So we agreed we'd come for two years and we've been here for 13. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. Uh, yeah, my husband started a microbrewery here called Cadejo Brewing Company, which is now regional. And, and I started the Accent Academy here. How cool. <laughs> That's it's awesome. been fun. It's been really, it's been, it's been hard sometimes, but it's been really fun too. <laughs> did you guys start businesses around the same time? Yeah. Oh. We did. Not, I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's very stressful, but uh, yeah, he started his in 2010, 11 and well, no, and I started mine in 2016. So I guess there were a few years in between Probably felt like it was <laughs> with little tiny kids. You know, I had little tiny kids. So. Yeah. And then what's life like for your family there? Um, and being, I mean, I guess kind of expats, not really your husband, but. Yeah, that's a great distinction. I often think about is like expats are kind of like short term, you know, like you're coming, you're working for a multinational or for Peace Corps or for the embassy, and you're going to be here for a few years. And it's like a fun adventure, you know, and then really like immigrant is more like someone who comes and is planning to stay for a really long time and adapts the culture and the language and really becomes like part of the the fabric of society um so yeah so I guess like I'm more of an immigrant you know mm -hmm. and uh, and then my husband is like returned 
from living abroad. So you, when you live in another place, you, that blows out a whole nother area of your brain too. Cause you're like, Oh, the way I always did it is not the way everybody does it. So you have to kind of realize like there is this kind of cultural relativism, you know? And, um, and so that's interesting because it allows you to have very different perspectives than someone who only stays in their culture. And I studied anthropology. So I've just always loved this kind of thing, but it also then makes you kind of not fit in 100% anywhere because you, they call it like third culture. So you have this like third culture and then you really Mm -hmm. relate to other people who live in different cultures. So um, it's kind of a meta, meta culture. I don't know how to explain it, but it's interesting. I feel like it's really enriching, but sometimes it can also be isolating. Mm. And I read that you founded um, Expats in El Salvador, correct? Yeah. What is that? And what made you want to start that? So that was, I think I started that in maybe like 2010 or something. And that was when you know, Facebook, of course, was already a thing, but it was like groups on Facebook were kind of new. And so I was always trying to think like, you know, what can I do to like add value or what can I do? I love to build community. And so I said, you know, wow, you know, I think there's a lot of people who live here who need access to resources. They need connection where do you, when you're like, where do I get almond milk? You know, like, I don't know. And so I just start, I just said like, let's just start a group. So I started it and it just exploded. And now we're like more than 6,000 members. And, um, I don't do anything like occasionally someone will be like, you know, moderator or somebody's cursing or fighting or something. And I'll have to go in and do something, but mostly it's fully self-sustainable because it just is really needed. And it is, it's like, where's, you know, how can I find almond milk or I'm looking for an apartment or I need a job or what are the COVID requirements right now for coming into the country? And everyone is so helpful and kind on there and they just really help each other. And so it's, that was like a great success. I'm sure it helped with that need that you said that it can feel lonely at times, but then this way they can, people can find each other and exactly. Yeah. Common ground. (laughs) Yeah. And you just need that. Like, I need a mechanic. I don't know anyone. And so you can like trust these people because you, you feel like they're, you're all kind of in it together. So I think it has helped a lot of people to feel more. I want to say a Spanish word right now, like ubicado, like oriented to what's happening here. Um, I have to ask, so I have your boys learned Spanish. Yeah. So boy and a girl, of course, like they grew, they were born here. So they are fully bilingual. Yeah. Um, yeah. They prefer English because that's our home language, uh, but they definitely know Spanish. Mm-hmm. That's so great. And I was going to say, I'm sure to them, I can't even ask the question, what's life like for them? Because that's all, that's what they know. That is their, that's home for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So as you mentioned, you're a co-founder of the Acton Academy in El Salvador. Um, but before we go into the detail of your, more of like your specific school, can you explain what Acton Academy is and kind of like what their philosophy on education is? Definitely, definitely. So the original story is that Jeff and Laura Sandifer, the original founders from Austin, Texas, wonderful people, they had um, their children were in a Montessori school. And then it was, t- you know, Montessori kind of ends at like six, and then there's usually not an option. And so 
they went to like the best, you know, mostly private school in Austin, Texas. Imagine Austin is an amazing place with lots of innovation. And Jeff asked the teacher, you know, when should we bring the boys over? And he, the teacher said, as soon as possible. And Jeff's like, well, why? And he said, because when they've experienced the freedom of Montessori, they won't want to come and sit in a desk and listen to a teacher talk all day. And Jeff was like, well, I don't blame them. And the teacher was like, me neither. And so Jeff went home and said, Laura, I'm really sorry, but we're not doing this. And so he's like, should we homeschool? Should we start our own school? Like, what should we do? And so they realized that like starting your own school is only marginally more difficult than homeschooling. They said, let's do it. And so the, I think they kind of did a survey of different things that were happening in education around the world. And they loved Montessori, right? And so they created a school and it's Montessori based. And by what I mean by that, or it's built like on top of Montessori. So Montessori is, um, you know, was started by Maria Montessori and she was a doctor, like a, a MD, you know, and she was a psychiatrist. So she observed children from a scientific perspective. Like she came with a blank mind and she observed. And over two years of observing daily, she started to develop her um, method, started to understand like, when are the sensitive periods for reading? Like when um, what are children curious about? And her, I mean, to me, the, her greatest tagline is follow the child. Mm -hmm. So Acton is all about following the child. And so you, the guide is not a teacher. We don't do any direct instruction. The guide is on the side, observing the child's needs and interests, and then, um, creating like attractive, beautiful, orderly, prepared environments and experiences. So, so that the child is like, wow, this is amazing. I want to explore this more. Right. And then it's at their own pace. So everything is self-paced and learner driven. For example, we don't do any math instruction. Mm -hmm. um, children have like, they know like they need to get to a certain point in math, right? Like they have to like finish seventh grade, eighth grade high school at whatever their goal is right then for math. Um, but they do it on their own. So they can learn math through textbooks, through videos, through Khan Academy, through Manga High, through any online resource, through their friends. And then we just make sure that they've mastered it in Khan Academy. So that's like the way that we decided to measure it. We've had students that took, you know, two years to finish third grade math, but then finished sixth and seventh grade math in one year. So it's just, it really is at the pace of the child. And in that way, mastery is fixed and time is flexible, which I think makes a lot more sense because in the conventional school, I'm kind of going off topic here, but in the conventional school, um, time is fixed. And if you, whatever you've done by June is like sort of what you've done. And if you haven't done enough, you go back and have to do the whole year again. And if you've done like, you know, 75%, then they pass you on to the next year, but then you have a 25% gap in your knowledge. So we prefer to let children take the time that they need to learn it, but they master it 100% before they move on to the next like grade level or the next like chunk, you know? So self-paced is one thing. Um, then we do a lot of hands-on projects. So uh, one of our, one of the things we always say is learn to be, learn to do and learn to learn. We really don't focus on memorizing content at all because now that all the, you know, the totality of human knowledge is available on your phone own, you don't really need to memorize like when was the war of 1812, you know, you need to know how to evaluate information if it's correct or not. Um, you need to know where to find it. 
you need to know how to read and write really well and do math, but you don't need to memorize facts. So we don't focus at all on content. We focus a lot on character development, um, which is not like you must be honest. No, it's like we just, we create a culture over time that is covenant bound. So students create like contracts in the beginning of the year. It takes them six weeks to develop the contract of how they want their studio to be for the year. And then they live according to, they sign it and they live according to that contract and they have the ways of enforcing the contract. So if, you know, if it says no name calling and they all agree, they don't want name calling and someone's name calling, they have a way to hold the, hold their peers accountable. And the adults, our job is really to set it up, make sure it's physically safe and then to get out of the way and let the magic happen. And the children are just far more capable than most adults give them credit for being. Um, and it's just, it's incredible to see what they do with it. That was the basis of uh, the school that Peter Gray's son went to, right? Right, the Democratic School. So, oh, um, Sudbury. Sudbury. Yeah. Sudbury, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just interviewed Peter the other day. Yeah, <laughs> Sudbury. So we're a little different from Sudbury. Um, oh, one thing I forgot, we do a lot of Socratic discussions. So we with- will put kids into... Um, the shoes of heroes, right? And say like, okay, for example, when COVID hit, we were like, okay, you're the president of the country. What are you going to do? Are you going to shut everything down to protect public health? Or are you going to keep things open to protect the economy? Like what, what should you do? Go, you know? And then they would have like discussions and debates about it because that's a truly, that's a true problem that humans were really in, you know, and they really had to make these decisions and there is no right decision. And there's not one that doesn't have a trade-off. So these are the, you know, we're in an era now where problems are increasingly enormous and they're chaotic and you need collaboration in order to solve them. And they're problems that humans have never experienced before. A lot of them created by us in order to solve other problems. So these children are going out into a world where they're going to have to solve very complex problems together And that's what we want to prepare them for. We don't care if they have the right answer. There is no right answer, you know? So the world is changing and we need to prepare children in a different way. So back to comparing Sudbury to to Acton. Acton is a little more structured than Sudbury. It is somewhat democratic, but I wouldn't say that as democratic as Sudbury. It's kind of different. Um, We do have town hall meetings. The children do make a lot of decisions, but they don't make every decision. Like they don't exactly make decision about like all the school budget and things like that, but there is some budget that they make decisions about. And um, there is a little more structure as far as like the kind of requirements for graduating um, are maybe a little bit more fixed than they are in Sudbury. I just wanted to bring up what you had said. I think it's really neat that you guys focus on processing information. And you said our phones have every bit of human knowledge, you know, in this, this little computer in our pocket. And I think a big problem today is that people spew information and uh, come off as experts because they found it on their cell phone. And you have to ask them like, okay, you, you, you sound like, you know, what you're talking about, where'd you get that information from? Cause it's nonsense, <laughs> you know? So, and I think that's missing in most school systems is the fact that they put together an argument, an intelligent argument, and then know how to argue that with the other side. And you have to know the other side as well, right? To make an intelligent argument, you have to know both sides because one way or the other is not usually the truth. It's right. So, somewhere in the middle. And 
to be able to hold an argument like that is something that has to be learned because we can see the, we can see where the system has brought us has not worked when it comes to that. And we were, ta- we, we actually interviewed uh, William, his name is William. He's, yeah, he's known as the nomadic professor, but he's a history professor. And what he did was the guy tra- has traveled more than anyone I've ever talked to. He, he traveled around the world with his family and recorded history lessons in the actual places that they took place. Wow. And, so, and it's available to college students. And when I, when I asked him, I said, oh, you know, he had said what the biggest, one of the biggest problems with students is that exactly what you said is that they can't process information and they just spew and kind of spew information. And I said, well, how do you fix that then? Like, what's your solution to that as a, as a homeschooling parent? And he said, you know, we teach them how to put together an argument. You have to, you have to basically study both sides and then use that information to come up with, with your side, but something that actually makes sense. And where did, where did you get that information from? Is it credible? You know, it, it can't, it can't just be you Googled it. And the first thing that popped up is where you got your information, which is an issue with a lot of, you know, things. And uh, yeah, so I think it's really cool that it's something you guys focus on at your school. For sure. Thank you. That history resource sounds amazing. Um, oh, if you, yeah, if you want to interview somebody me. about history, he was one of my favorite interviews. He was, he's so interesting. He's one of he the is. most, he's a dose keys guy. He's <laughs> one of the most interesting <laughs> men alive. Like, Really, wow. he's super cool. You should reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. All right. So just, I'm trying to think of like, it's student-led, but with some structure. So do, are the students like, do they create their own rhythm of the day or do the guides create the rhythm and then they just kind of fall into that, um, doing what they want to in that subject area or how does that look? Every acting is a little bit different in how they, you know, how they end up manifesting like the, you know, the actual schedule. But for us, what we do is on Mondays, um, students have a goal setting time and they might work with their running partner or group and say like, okay, I know, you know, I want to achieve, I'm, I'm working on achieving this, this year. And so I've broken that down over, you know, if like, I want to do that in the year, let's say I want to do like hundred percent of math in a year. And I have 36 weeks of school. So that works out to be like about 3% a week. So I need to be doing like a little bit less than 1% a day in math. Okay. So I'm going to work on math this week, like three days and do 1% on Monday, 1% on Wednesday, 1% on Friday. I write it down on my goal sheet. What do you guys think? Yeah, that looks great. I'm going to do this and, you know, I'm going to finish my spelling and then I'm going to like continue reading X amount of pages in my deep book that, you know, they have, they read like these wonderful deep books that they decide they determine if they're deep books or not based on criteria. And then I'm going to, you know, that's what I want to do for the week. And their running partner is like, okay, that, that looks great. Sign it off. Awesome. And then we have work periods every day called core skills time. And then, so during that time is when ideally the studio is, you know, fairly silent and everyone is allowing everyone to work. This doesn't happen all the time. There's distraction, <laughs> there's fighting, there's playing, you know, there's all the normal things happen. Um, and they need, they manage that they will work to finish their goals by Friday. And then, so there's that work period every day that could be an hour to two hours a day, usually of course skills time. And then oftentimes that's in the morning. That seems like when students kind of want to do that type of work, when they feel like really fresh and clear and able to sit and focus in that manner on Friday, they do a check-in like, how did I do? 
what was my actual compared to my goal, right? And so then um, if they achieve to like a certain level, they are in, we have like three different freedom levels. So one is nesting, one is flying and one is soaring. So if you're in nesting, that means that you didn't achieve your goals. You maybe were distracted or, you know, you didn't really focus and do your best. You didn't take a ton of responsibility for what you wanted to do. And so you don't get a ton of freedom the next week. And so your freedom level goes down. Like maybe now you have to study at a desk alone and maybe you have to, you know, maybe you can't, you know, I don't know. The children make these up. Then flying means you did it. You achieved your goals and you're, you're good. And so you have a certain level of freedom there. And then soaring means you went above and beyond what your goals were. And you have like a lot of freedom, you know, you can go eat whenever you want. You can like, you know, you can play on the thing. Like you doesn't matter who you work with. Like you just have total freedom because you're taking total responsibility. So we have work periods where they do that. And then we have another time in the day that is our um, quest time. And so at any given time during the year, we're working on a quest and a quest is like five to six weeks long. And it's a deep dive into a topic. Like right now we're doing marine biology. And so um, the guides work really concentratedly and before they launch the quest and they create like a series of challenges that get harder and harder over time. And that culminates in a public exhibition. So um, they know that at the end of the session, their parents, their grandparents, friends, you know, people from the community are gonna come to this public exhibition and they are going to show them what they've learned in a really creative manner. It could be a play or a series of skits. It could be a simulation. It could be a dinner that they cook, you know, for chemistry of cooking or something like that. Um, one of them is our children's business fair. So they build products and test products and price products and do customer research and everything over six weeks. And then they sell their products on for that exhibition but it's a public exhibition at the end. And so they're kind of preparing for that the whole time. And that's usually three days a week in the afternoon. And then the other periods, like we'll have an art period and like, you know, phys ed or whatever you want to call it, like sports, you know, and um, they do like different things for sports. And so uh, keeping that physical body healthy, that's basically it, how the structure is during the week. So there are clearly defined times for certain things. There are clearly defined goals within like a curriculum, but all that stuff is also open to negotiation. So let's say a child says, I love art. I like, I know that I'm going to be a potter. You know, I want to be in a potter. Like I'm obsessed with pottery. I know pottery. I've been doing it forever. I don't really need to know calculus. Mom and dad, I want to finish and I don't want to do calculus instead of calculus. I want to do like an advanced pottery glazing techniques class or something like that. They can negotiate that with their parents. And if their parents sign off, you don't need to do calculus and trig. We say that's fine with us. Like it's between you and your parents, what you want to learn. So we have our basic curriculum, but it's open to interpretation based on the family's choice because the child is in charge of his or her own education and is responsible for that in community with their parents, obviously. Wow, that's really interesting. I've never heard of a setup like this. Now, I like to go back to the first thing. I want to make sure I got this straight. You teach consequences to your actions? We do. Actually, we like just allow consequences. And then we try not to rescue. <laughs> so we're like, wow. oh, like I, my daughter, this 
Friday. Both of my children were crying on Friday. And um, because they both had consequences for their actions and they weren't given by me, they were given by their, their studio. So like my daughter worked super hard all week and she did a lot of work, but she had a goal in her grammar book. And when she met with her guide at the end to show like, this is what I did to determine her freedom level. She hadn't done half a page of her grammar book. She was in nesting. And then she was like, it's not there. The guide hates me, you know, all that. And I was just like, you know, the job as an acting parent is to, first of all, manage ourselves, because what do you want to do? You want to rescue them, right? They're your child. They're hurting. You're like, I want to save you, but you have to like take a deep breath and be like, she's not going to die. This is going to be good for her. Like, it's fine. And then to be Socratic. So, well, first is to acknowledge feelings like, oh, honey, I see that you feel really sad. Oh, I see that you're really angry. You know, I get it. Like this feels unfair. And I understand that. Then that helps the emotions like kind of come down, you know, and they need their time, whatever they need to do. And then it's like, what are you going to do next time? You know, like, do you like, do you really think she hates you? Like, or did you just, did you just forget? Like what, this is so great because next time, you know, what's going to happen. You're not going to forget. And then it's like, fine, you know? And so, and then, you know, an hour later, she's happy and playing and she's fine. But like, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of, some parents will want to say, you know, that's not fair. I'm calling the guide. This is ridiculous. She did the work. It was just half a page. You know, of course, all those thoughts went through my head, but I just don't listen to them. I'm like, no, the best thing for her is that she learned that you can't turn stuff in late because that's the world is not going to let you turn stuff in late. So you shouldn't be turning stuff in late when you're 10 either. I mean, you can, but you're not going to get into flying. We have a lot of family members that are teachers in like a public school system. And that's the hardest part of their job is dealing with the parent. The student could have done nothing for a week to two weeks straight, nothing. And then for some reason, they're mind blown when they get a failing grade. And the first person to step in is the parent to berate the teacher. How could you possibly give my student uh, or my, my child this grade? And then the school almost always caves in. And this kid learns that no matter what I do in life, there are no consequences. All you have to do is throw a little, is throw a fit. Yeah, throw a fit and be, and be a victim. And be a victim. And yeah. I think it's, I, I love the, I love that you, that you guys are teaching that. Like, yeah, it, it's, you know, if you forget to do something or if you do something wrong and you don't achieve your goals, there's a consequence to that. That's a life lesson that is missing and it's detrimental to people is when you don't learn to fail, you don't know how to fail when you become an adult and you become a, a person that, can't even, you know, function in the workplace because when somebody tells you you did something wrong, even if it's constructive, you fall apart. Definitely. I totally agree with you. And it's not, you know, sometimes when we talk about it, I think people hear it as like, am I going to get this word, but like punitive, you know, like we're punishing them or something. That's not it at all. The point is, is that like, I know that one day my kids are going to be grown and they're going to have to go out and be responsible for themselves. And as an adult who's had to go through all that and fail and start my own business, and it's been really hard and times when you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, life is hard. And if we are just like coddling our kids and, and then throwing them out there, 
that is not serving them, you know? So it's much better that they grow that muscle of like having to take responsibility for themselves now, because it's actually, it's the most loving thing that you can do for your child, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's what I think. And we, you know, I make mistakes all the time. Um, but, sure. but in general, like I, I have my eye on the prize of like, I want my kids to be fully self-supporting and like able to deal with life on life's terms because it's hard out there. And we don't know what's coming either, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever met a very interesting person that was truly successful in their own right, they failed a lot. It's, it's never the person has never failed in their life. They're not very interesting people. Typically. Um, (laughs) we actually had a moment, we had this moment with our, with our son the other night, we took him to karate and he was just had no energy. He was doing everything really like lackadaisical. And at the end of the class, he was awarded a stripe on his belt. And I was like, inside, I was like, don't do it. Do not put that stripe on that kid's belt right now. Because the whole time we're like, what is he doing? Is he serious right now? Like, what? And we're not that, we're not like helicopter parents at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but inside, it's also like- a sign of respect for the teacher that he can see that you're putting no effort into this. This is what he does for a living. Like show him some respect and, and, and do what you're supposed to do. And when he was done, maybe not everybody would agree with this, but I said, hey, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't earn that, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you did not earn that. I said, you didn't, you, you were being very lazy. And if it was up to me, I wouldn't have allowed you to get that, but he gave it to you anyway. I want you to know you did not earn that. And he got real sad. He got, got droopy face. Yeah. And then I said, Hey, I said, you know, I'm not mad. I said, but what what are you going to do next time? He said, try harder. And I said, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I, and maybe not everybody parents like that, but that's how I am. That I want to make sure that you realize things just aren't given to you. Even when you're six, like you have to earn stuff. And that's where you learn that is it takes work. And, you know, when you see somebody who's really good at something, you can't just be all bummed out because you're not as good. Guess what? They probably are at home when you're sitting watching TV or doing whatever they're practicing, like, and they're working towards something. And if you want to be that good at whatever it is, pottery, running, karate, uh, writing, then when you, when you're, when you have downtime, you you should be practicing that. And there's nobody at fault except for yourself if you're not really. And that's how I feel about life because life is hard. <laughs> no one. Yeah. And once you get to be an adult, nobody cares. Nobody cares about the <laughs> things in your life that are tough. Nobody Everybody cares. has right. a problem. <laughs> right. Nobody cares how you feel. Right. They just, uh, totally. <laughs> I'm with you. So there's this question that you like asking all of your guests on your podcast. And so we wanted to turn the tables around and ask you that question, which Ooh. is, I know you know what it is, but what is your favorite thing about working with young learners? Uh, okay. Yeah. My favorite thing about young learners is they have, which is kind of a departure from what we we're just talking about, but <laughs> I feel like they just want to have a great time. Like they just want to have fun. They want to be joyful. My kids always cite the statistic and I'm probably getting the numbers wrong that kids laugh like a thousand times a day and adults laugh like two times a day or something. <laughs> You know, and, and yes, life is a struggle and we have to work hard and all those, you know, the kind of reality that we're talking about, but also you only get this one wild and precious life. So you need to really enjoy it. And kids are naturally always doing that. So I know like anytime if I'm kind of like, you know, in my office, I can just go down and observe them. And they're always trying to find a way to 
flip their body around or make somebody laugh or tag somebody to make it a game. And like, they know how to really like get joy out of life. And in that way, I find them extremely inspiring because sometimes like in the daily grind, like you can lose sight of that. And so they like always bring me back to like finding the joy and life and making things fun and funny. Really. That's so true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. They are a great reminder. And yeah, I take myself too seriously quite often. So <laughs> they look at the mayhem that happens because they are bringing the joy back in life. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I don't yes take myself seriously at all. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I can <Never>. tell. <laughs> He's in the mayhem with them half the time. And I'm on the outside, like, what is going on? (laughs) All right. So that leads us to the next question, which is to tell us about this other hat that you wear, um, about the new schools platform and why it was created. Yeah. So that was so serendipitous that I was even like kind of new to Instagram and like trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden I saw a posting they were looking for a podcast host and I had, it was pandemic and I had just uh, been interviewed for my first ever podcast um, by a woman here in El Salvador. And I enjoyed it so much, like just talking to people like, you know, like-minded people about what we love. And I said like, why not? You know, we're in pandemic and I'm in my house and um, missing talking to people. And so I reached out and I said, I would be interested in doing this. And here's a, you know, here's a link to the podcast that I was interviewed on. And James, who's our producer, and he's the one who really created it, um, James Deeds, he, you know, said, yeah, we, we would love it. And so he and I just started collaborating and you would love him. Like he's just totally in line with the same philosophy as we are like loving kids and super empathetic and caring about them, but, and also real, you know, and also like with that kind of like growth mindset and, um, you know, responsibility balance with freedom and everything that we're talking about here, loving learning and being kind of not in the conventional way. I mean, he's just, you know, I don't know how to describe us, but we're all kind of in the same, the same mindset. Yes. Yeah. So he, um, so we just started collaborating and um, we got some great guests on and then it just started like kind of snowballing and we just kept getting more and more great guests like Peter Gray and I talked to Lenore Skenazy. You know who I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So she's so cool. We've had Peter Gray, but we haven't had her, but I love everything. I've, I've heard her talk before in her own podcast and love it. Yeah. Yeah. So just so many great people. And every time I do it, I learn, I've learned so much from talking to, I'm sure you guys feel that way too. Like mm-hmm. I just learn so much. It's also very validating, you know, cause sometimes when you're doing this, it's so different than what some huge percentage of the rest of the world is doing in terms of education that sometimes you can feel like, am I crazy? You know? And so then I talked to all these people, I'm like, no, definitely not. We're all sane. Like we're the same ones. You know? And so that feels really validating. It's really informed my practice as a guide and as an acting owner um, and as a parent and makes me feel like I belong to this, com- this community of just really great people. Mm-hmm. So it's been, a, it's been a wonderful ride and well, you know, and we're just keeping going with it. So really great. I was actually, um, reading James bio and mm-hmm. I don't know if he still lives there in South Carolina, but I, we lived in Charleston. I worked for the schools there and I knew of the wings program that he talks about in his bio. I was like, man, small world. Mm-hmm. I don't know what schools he worked with, but I, I wonder if we were ever at the same time 
Oh, I wonder. Wow. Yeah, just know. reach out and ask him on email. Yes, I know. I, I was like, wow, wings. Yes. I wonder if we're in the same neighborhood in, in uh, South Carolina. But I wanted, maybe you can explain it a little better. But when I read as far as like the vision for the new schools, he explained that how generally there's three alternative options to public schools, private school, homeschooling, and then those that you guys consider the new schools. Um, are you able to explain that more just for our listeners? Yeah, you know, so right. So there's like the regular public education system um, in the United States. And then I'm not very familiar with any other country's systems per se besides the United States and El Salvador. El Salvador mm-hmm. public school is just is not really somewhere where you would want to send your kids here. So really all the options are private here. But they're all very conventional. And in the States too, I think, you know, like I went to a private Catholic all girls school and that was a wonderful school. And I had a classical education, but it was conventional, you know, it was the same thing, just like the public school, but in a different way. And then homeschooling, of course you have, you know, as many different homeschool philosophies as you have homeschoolers, right? Every, every family is its own kind of universe. Um, But some homeschoolers are also extremely conventional, you know, and they're just going through that curriculum. They're just happening to do it in their own home and in their own way. And then, you know, you got your radical unschoolers and your wild, you know, in your home, your world schoolers and your forest schoolers and all that kind of stuff. So the new schools is more um, schools that are emerging to be more learner driven, making the child the protagonist. Um, in their own lives and kind of following them. I think I would say that that's a commonality of almost every person, if not every person that we've interviewed, is that they really take to heart the philosophy of follow the child and that we are there to serve them and create environments that inspire and equip them but that we're not directive in how that learning takes place. I mean, somewhat directive, right? But like we, we try to limit our directiveness and to be more facilitating rather than directing and, and guiding and accompanying more than dictating or controlling. I would say that, that that's a big commonality. I think there's also sometimes an entrepreneurial element to a lot of the people that we talk to. And I don't necessarily mean like, you know, go get on Shark Tank and make money. No, I mean like valuing the skills of coming up with a new idea that never existed before and creating um, communication around that idea that will persuade and inspire other people to kind of join your cause or to buy your product or to join your community, you know, or to just like even change their mind to, to over to what your idea is. And uh, trying to make the world a better place. I mean, I know that sounds like kind of hackneyed, but, you know, I think that's the hope with kids, right? Is like, we want them, we want them to be living in a beautiful world. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I'm kind of like doing it on the fly, but I feel like maybe those are some of the, some of the, the philosophies that we are with, you know, great empathy and respect for children is part of it. No, I think it did because what you're explaining and then something else I had when I was reading his whole description was that when he mentions homeschoolers as like a second option, like the homeschooling families, he says, you know, not all families feel like that'll meet their needs because both parents still need to work or and like, so they can't awesome. give up that income. And then he included in like these, this third option as the new schools, which is pretty much like what you have described. If it is an actual like business that comes about that has this, you know, alternative learning option, micro schools, 
But then he also says sometimes it's even just a couple of homeschooling families that get together in like their garage and then they take turns. So if somebody has to work on this day, that parent will cover and then the next day they'll switch. And, and I just thought, I was like, yeah, that, that's really neat. Like, because yes, not, I, we, we know that not everybody can, first of all, not everybody can afford private school. Um, or if they can afford it, because I mean, even these alternative schools have tuition, but even if they can afford it, it's still that conventional learning that they don't agree with. Right. Um, and then their homeschooling is not for every family, especially if they have to still work. So yeah, I, I just thought it's just so neat what this whole platform is on thinking of like the new schools, like this up and coming, like third pathway of education. And we're doing this uh, summer series, summer, early fall series coming up. And it's going to be like deep diving into home education, especially for our uh, parents that are considering homeschooling or going or starting off with it. And Nathan was like, well, why don't we include this discussion today, this episode as part of this series? And I didn't think about that. I'm like, you know what, you're right. Just so parents are aware that there are so many other options out there because following along your podcast, I have learned so much on all the different options out there. I think it is such a great resource for everybody to know, like, it's not just, you know, A, B, and C, like there are other things out there and there are a lot of other centers with all these different types of ideas. Of course, you're at the mercy of if it's in your location, like geographically, but I I, I think it is important. Or if, a parent really loves the idea, then maybe they can start something themselves in their area. So I guess my question is, I don't know if you can answer this, but like if a parent wanted to search for an alternative option in their area, do you have a suggestion on how, like what to look for or what to like type up in the search engine or they're not easy. Like, I think I can, I only know of one in our area, like a micro school near us. Where are you? Outside of Cleveland. Okay. So um, I think if you Google, like some of the hashtags that we use is like, yeah, micro school, alternative school, innovative school. Those I think are really good. We also, you know, Acton is growing all over the place. Like now there are 300 locations around the world. Most of them are in the United States. So I think, you know, it's like looking for an Acton Academy, there might be one near you um, or starting an Acton Academy me too, if they're willing, you know, wanting to do something really, truly with, you know, a lot of commitment, (laughs) but I mean, like, if they really want to do it, they should do it. But yeah, alternative school, innovative school, micro school. I think those are good terms that you could probably find learner driven, self-directed education. There's the Alliance for self-directed education that they could look, maybe there's resources there. I know that Arrow, which is A-E-R-O, that's Alternative Education Resources Organization. They have like a whole list of alternative schools and they just keep putting more in there. So that's a good kind of like clearinghouse for like where you could find something. I think that would be a great resource also for families. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Cause sometimes it's just like, they're like, okay, that's great. But how do we even find these schools? You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. All right. So you're a director of an alternative education school, host the podcast of the new schools, and you get to hear firsthand from many parents, educators, and professionals on alternative education. So where do you think the future of education is headed? You know, this is such a great question and it's so hard to answer. Like I was interviewing Matt Barnes the other day and he has the educationgame.com.org. He's amazing. And I, I was like, 
I know you can't predict. And he's like, oh, I can predict. He's like, I mean, I might be wrong, but I can predict. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, good distinction, Matt. So um, I don't know. You know, I, I always ask this question too. And in, in some, I've had answers as widely diverse as COVID is the meteor, you know, conventional school is a dinosaur and COVID is the meteor hitting the earth and it's going to be wiped out you know, and I, which Matt said actually. And I was like, yeah. And then, and then all the way to Jeff Sandifer, who was the original founder of Acton and such a wise person and mentor to me. And he says, you know, I don't think the K through 12 system is going to change at all. And he's like, if this is a blip, it's going to go back to being the way that it was. There's too many forces against change, whether it's, you know, the teachers unions or just the status quo, or just parents have to work and they don't really have time to focus on this problem. And the truth is, is that most kids are fine in the system um, and they are resilient and they are heroes and they'll get through it and be bored out of their minds and, you know, waste all this time. But then eventually they're free and they go and do what they really want to do. So I, I really don't know. And I am just here like watching it and all unfold just like everybody else. And I, I mean, I, I think there are definitely some disruptors like Acton Academy that are providing that alternative, you know, like uber to taxis or whatever you know and i also think that when you have a an institution like the school system and you're telling children it's compulsory for them to go to school and to graduate and that they have to learn x y and z in this order and in this way to get this diploma inherently you're making a promise to them that they are prepared you know they get the piece of paper the inherent promise is that they're now prepared to go out into the world and to be successful in the culture that created that system and that forced them through it. And I think that there's a gap there now is that I don't think when children get out of high school that they really are prepared for the world that's here and certainly for the world that's coming. So uh, that we're creating, that's a tension that's I think only going to become stronger and maybe even like, what's the word, like exponentially so. I think there has to be a reckoning at some point. Will it be now? Will it be in, you know, 20 years? I don't know, but I feel, I, I think something has to transform. And then I also think that children have, the, the children are growing up in a totally different cultural context than we did. You know, I mean, I'm 50. So I mean, there was no internet until I was like graduating from college, but you know, they're growing up in such a wildly different context and they know if they want to go learn something, they know exactly where to go to go and learn that, you know, are they learning the right things? I don't know, but they definitely know how to learn. So those two pressures on the system, I think something's got to give. I just don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I hope it looks like Acton Academy, but you know, I, Lord knows, I don't know. <laughs> How's that for the least satisfying answer ever? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, you can't, you can't predict. Nobody knows. I think something's going to happen, but I think that was a great answer. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows that. <laughs> now, I love what you said, how the way that the institution is portraying that kids think that by passing this class and doing this and this and this time frame and then getting this diploma is going to set them up for the future. It, I'm sorry, but to me, it's kind of like a joke. So I, I thought that was a great, great point. I don't think that's a new thing either. You no. know, even when we went to school, like we had you had this idea of oh, get out of high school and, and then you're going to uh, you know get to go to college and when you graduate it's you're home free like everything's 
figured out because you have that college degree and we all figured out that that's not the case. Yeah. I don't know any, I don't know anybody that said, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. I graduated and everything just worked out from there. Uh, that's been going on for a while where they don't teach, they don't teach you a lot of skills that are necessary to be successful in life. I also don't put all that onto the schools. I put that onto parents, which I think yeah, is a sure. giant issue there as well. Um, that, and we talk about this all the time that, and we were in the school, you know, we, our kids were in the school system too, where when you drop off your kid, you put all this responsibility on the school, although it's still your responsibility as a parent. And then when things go wrong, everybody points the finger at the schools and the teachers. And it's like, that's your kid. That's your kid. You are supposed to prepare them. If there was a problem, you should have been asking questions. You should have asked your kids questions, you should ask the school questions. You should have been there along. Not a, again, not a helicopter parent, but you have to be actively involved. That's your child. So I think a lot of times the teachers get a lot of flack when they shouldn't. They work in a system that has nothing to do with them. It's a system that was put into place. Most of them have the best intentions. It's the system that's messed up. And, you know, it's, I think, like you said, with COVID, I think it just brought to light problems that already existed. It was, it didn't cause any, I don't think it caused any new problems. Just the same system that was there before COVID. It's just people became aware and I think homeschooling is becoming more mainstream, which before it wasn't. And I think it will, I think it will be somewhere in the middle. I don't think the public school system is going to completely go away. I, it, it's ingrained in the culture and there's too much, there's too many forces behind it. I think that more and more alternative education is going to pop up. And I think it's going to be utilized by people that have resources. The people who don't have resources will still be in the same system that they were in before because it's going to cost money. So who has the money to send their kids to an alternative education, to some sort of private school or, you know, these, I think, I think that other schools will pop up that are less structured um, or less traditional, but it's going to cost money. You know, and uh, people that homeschool, you know, it takes that takes a parent typically takes a parent to stop working to be able to stay home. So only somebody that can, you know, that has the again, the resources to be able to do that where they can take a salary and brush that off to the side or are going to be able to do that. So I see things. I, I see it as a good thing. I, I see that there's going to be more options and options are good. You know, and I, I, I think that everybody should have options and those options aren't right for everybody. Homeschooling is not right for everybody. Depends on the family and the the parents and what they've got going on in their life. But yeah, I think more options are going to pop up because of this. And I look at that as a good thing. Yeah, me too. And I think too, like the risk of sounding like, you know, some people like get upset at Americans for being like Americans are the best, you know, but like America has, or the United States, I should say, because, you know, there's North, South and Central America, but the United States has a way of, you know, taking problems and being like, let, you know, let's make a new, you know, let's innovate around this. So I feel like, you know, in places like Acton started in Texas, you know, which is very free and open for innovation. And I have great hope that, that we will solve, you know, we will solve this problem. Like we will, people love their kids more than anything. And they want them to have a great life. And I think when, you know, as the cracks start to show more in the way that the system is like people like Jeff Sandover who started Action Academy, you know, that's gonna, you know, this innovation, like the new schools, right? It's coming, it's here, it's gonna, you know, and then now because of the internet and the way that you can deliver information faster, you can organize things better for really cheap because of the internet enabled stuff. You know, I, I love that there's a lot of online innovation and learning. There is no, that is no substitute for an in-person 
experience for kids. You know, they need, they need all the senses. They need this, they need relationships. Like they need all that. But I'm saying there is a lot of like technology that is, that enables learning even in person. So I think we should be optimistic about it. You know, I think it's gonna, I think some, some amazing stuff is happening and it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Optimistic is a good word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When this, with COVID, when COVID went started and this it's been going on, obviously, so we talked about that. So you can, you can look at this and yes, there's bad things happening, but you have to take the positives. Like how are you going to make this, how do you make the best of the situation? Or you can you can take the next year plus however long this goes on and keep talking about how much this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. How yeah. long are you going to do I that think for? It's been so great in so many ways, such a good reset. I felt like it was a silent retreat in some ways, you know? Well, a lot of people said that with family, like all of a sudden you, you were spending more time with family and you realized, and it made you realize just like the school thing. It made, it just brought to the surface how much time you don't spend with your family typically. And that was the same for us. It was like, all of a sudden I was, even with my job, they were, they were putting me home a couple of days a week. And I was like, man, I miss all the stuff with my kids. I, I, I've never seen, I've never been home for, like this. And yeah, it was, you can take any bad situation. You have to look at the positives or you can just be a negative person constantly. And this isn't going away. I don't care. It, regardless yeah. of what happens, it, th there's going to be something going on with this for a while. And you, you have to be a pos positive light. Definitely. I totally agree. That's inspiring. All right. So what advice do you have for parents wanting to take that leap of faith into alternative education, but are a little hesitant? Yeah, I always ask that question too. And I've gotten so many great answers. <laughs> um, I mean, me, I'm like, go for it. Like, it's a great journey. There's what better, you know, what better thing are you investing your time in other than like your children and their learning? I feel so, I think when you do it as a mom and as a woman, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of times if you're going to work, you know, you have to choose between working and, and being with your family. And when you decide to make your career or your journey about your children's education, you get to do both at the same time. So I think it's a great like work around, you know, it's a great solution to that. So I've gotten to like kind of be entrepreneurial and grow something new and meet tons of amazing people. And I also am with my kids every single day. So that I think it's a great resolution to that problem. And I say, don't be, you know, maybe you'll, you'll feel afraid, but do it anyway, because you're going to make mistakes. You know, some people are like, I could never homeschool because like, I don't know what to teach them. You know, it's like, don't, it's like, take a deep breath and, and bring it down. Like, just be in the present moment and like, look at like, what do your kids need now? Like, what do you need to do right now? Like, don't, don't be like so overwhelmed with this. Like, how could I do this? It's so big and overwhelming. Like, just start with the, you know, just eat the sandwich, like one bite at a time. You can do this, you know, just figure it out. The problems will come and then you'll solve those problems. It's like this great quote that somebody told me yesterday, like the obstacle is the way. So don't be afraid, like just take it one step at a time and do it. And if you, if you really feel inspired and turned on to do this, like do it. And if you don't, and you feel like you're doing it out of obligation or because you should, or because, you know, but really in your heart, you're like, ah, I don't want to do this. Then don't do it. Find another solution. Find another family who's doing it or find an acting academy or just keep looking, like keep looking until you find the solution that makes your heart align with it. But don't, don't give up. If you're hearing that call to an adventure to do something different, like follow it because it's an adventure and like, what else should life be? It'll be really fun. And there's lots more people coming. There's people ahead of you on the path. There's a lot more people coming on the path. 
you're going to have fellow travelers and you're going to, you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. I love that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more though. I always think of two things, which is research it. Like you said, keep looking until you figure out what it is that you want. And then just knowing what that why is, which is pretty much what you said too. Like, if you know your why, like, why do you want to do alternative education? What did it, what is it that you're looking for in alternative education? If you know your why, that's really going to be your driving force throughout the journey. And because it's not going to be easy either. We're not going to lie and say that, but it is totally worth it in our book, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I love how you put that. That's great. Yeah. Know your why. All right. So we have two last questions. These are more like fun questions. So if you could hand a book to every new person that you met, what book would it be? So one of the books that changed my life is this book called finding your own North star by Martha Beck. And, um, it's about the hero's journey, right? Like the hero's journey. That is like the archetypal journey that every Disney movie follows and every Greek myth and every, you know, almost every great story follows, which is like hero is minding his own business. And, you know, human is just minding his own business and is feeling kind of lost and stuck. And then all of a sudden there's a call to adventure and then you go out on this journey and it's really hard and you almost die, but you don't, and you like make it and you slay the dragon. And then you go back to your village and you bring like a gift of knowledge or expanded understanding of the world. And um, she breaks that process down into really manageable chunks and with like a meta understanding. She like metacognates that whole thing. So she, she takes you through all the parts of that and how you're going to feel, what questions to ask yourself, exercises to do to get you through that whole journey intact and to make sure that you go all the way through it. And um, that book just absolutely changed my life and made me be able to see that anytime you do something hard, there's a a trajectory that that follows. And if you know what that trajectory is, it makes it a lot less scary. Mm-hmm. And so that's what has kind of allowed me to do difficult things in my life because I knew kind of what to expect out of the journey. So I would hand them that book. Um, and then another book, you guys got me here on this one. Well, we only asked for one. Yeah. You didn't give us two. Oh, you did? I thought you said two. And I was like, oh my God, okay, I only have one. Okay, one, I'm done. Great. <laughs> I was like, are you going to tell her? <laughs> she only needs one. <laughs> I mean, I would also recommend a cur- The Courage to Courage to Grow, which was a book written by Laura Sandifer, who was who started Acton with her husband, Jeff Sandifer. So if you're curious about Acton, read Courage to Grow by okay. Laura Sandifer. <laughs> I, mean, I know why you thought there was two recommendations, because I said I have two final questions. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's it. You're right. Which makes no exactly. sense, because there can be no two final questions. This is a final question, right? I said I was going <laughs> to two last questions. You're right. Whatever. All right. So <laughs> this is a question we definitely have been asking everybody so far. If you knew you could only leave one last piece of wisdom for your children, what would it be? Okay, you said these were fun questions. I thought they were. (laughs) I think it's like trust yourself. Yeah. Like really, really trust yourself. Like seek your own counsel, develop your own criteria, decide what you think is really true and right. Because like you said, you know, you Google it, 90% of what conventional wisdom is, I have found to be wrong. You got to find the people that are like thinking differently and that really, really understand what they're talking about at a really, really deep level. And they're not just peddling you like the conventional wisdom. They're 
they're really not afraid to don't be afraid to stand alone in the you know to to brave the wilderness like Brene Brown says like don't be afraid to risk belonging to do what you think is right because you'll you think you're going to be alone but when you get out there and you look around there's other people out there with you so don't be afraid it's a great way to end it Shannon all right so where can everyone find you you know i just have my acting academy acting academy el salvador.com and then the new schools.com um is really just the only two places i am um if you're in el salvador you can join expat in el salvador on facebook <laughs> um i have an instagram but i don't use it that much it's the shannon falkenstein that's it <laughs> And of course, the podcast, the New Schools podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, the New Schools podcast. Yeah, the New Schools.com. So I think, yeah, any, it's kind of a survey and kind of a primer of what's going on in the area of education innovation. So um, if, you're, if, you are, if you're thinking about that, that's a good place to go and get more information. Definitely. So, well, you guys right, are great. I want to hear your story. Like, I'm like, I want to like switch the tables and have you on the New Schools and talk about, it. you know, we have never had a homeschool family on. Oh. So, yeah, and I think so many people... I might, you know, myself included, have so many questions, you know, how do you plan that curriculum? Like, how do you, how do you do it? So I would like, like, I'm going to email you guys back or we can stay on after the call and talk about it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you, Shannon, so much for joining us today. This is going to be a, a great one for our families and for anybody even considering who hasn't even dipped their toes in alternative education. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. Love meeting you guys. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. First, we want to thank Shannon for joining us all the way from El Salvador. We also want to thank all of you for joining us again around the fire for another great conversation. Please remember to send us an email or leave us a message on Instagram if you have any questions or comments. And as always, let's light a fire they can't put out.